Sasuke goes for it again. Oh, he just can't do it. You just cannot be that good. That is an amazing goal. I think you scored a goal every time he's had a shot. What's going on, guys? We are back with the 50 Plus One Football Podcast, your home for all things Premier League and Bundesliga. We have a host of topics for you today, but with me as always, a man who, without him, I'd be as in disarray as Bayern's back line, it's Billy. And how very true and how very apt that comparison is, because this week we are talking Bayern's defensive woes at the back. Were they just terrible at the weekend or were Bochum fantastic? It's probably a combination of the two. And moving over to the Premier League, we take a look at the the disarray at Tottenham Hotspur and could Antonio Conte potentially walk away at the end of the season from the club he's only just joined? But without further ado, let's get to it. Harlan's volley is beautiful beyond just, just two clubs in disarray. So that's what we're gonna do. Well, I, I think we'll we'll start with the uh, with the obvious because you know this week just doesn't seem to be it. If you're a Bayern fan, not gonna lie, it just 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 isn't nice. It's not nice. It's not enjoyable. You get smacked 4-2 four, four, at the weekend, and then you draw 1-1 one, one to Zeitzburg. Ah, ah. It's, you're going to have a bad time. It's fantastic. It's just been the culmination of everything we've said this season, though, about how bad they are at the back. It's just all hit in one foul swoop, you know. Because, yeah, Bochum got the equaliser like five minutes after Lewandowski put you ahead. And but what then, a way he did, by the way. Yeah, but then to concede three goals in six minutes, for Bayern, it's pretty spectacular. And two of them are goal of the season contenders. I mean, not, not, not going to lie, you're going to struggle to find better goals in all leagues, all of Euro, Europe's top leagues. Like, I'm not going to lie. That's... <laughs> The way the, the first one, he just he just hammers it past Ulreich. Like he, you know, he's he's hit that with a vengeance almost, you know. It's just he's hit that like it owes him money. And I watched Christian Gamboa struggle to make the West Brom side. Unbelievable. I mean, there you go. It's it's the change of the change of scenery, which is needed sometimes. So for, for people that don't know quickly, and we'll talk about uh, Gerrit Holtman and Bochum and Seth, but why is Manuel Neuer out at the moment? Not that it would have made a difference at the weekend, at least. Um, but Manuel Neuer had surgery on his meniscus, and that came, you know, so suddenly because it seemed like everything was fine and you know the the press and the media didn't really report that he had any niggly injuries or he didn't really have that anything noteworthy really but in the end it was apparently you know his knee kept you know flaring up again and again before christmas and then afterwards as well and then they decided to have surgery now why they decided to have it now versus when there was an international break i don't know um but if we're being honest the matches he's missing 
or it's better to miss these matches than, you know, come end of March, beginning of April, when you start really getting into the, the big ones of the season, you know, you'll have Dortmund, you'll have um, Leverkusen and you'll have Champions League quarterfinals, hopefully. I mean, nothing, nothing for sure on that front yet, is there? Let's not count our chickens before they've hatched. Yeah, exactly. But I think that was the, that was the thinking there at least, but long story short, he had some meniscus surgery and he's still going to be out for probably around three weeks. I mean, he himself said it was a matter of weeks when he made the announcement about, I want to say it was two weeks ago, but eh, I don't know for sure. Yeah. Okay. I thinking about it, I think maybe Lacardia's penalty, he would have had a better chance, but it was pretty into the side netting. I think... Um, Ant- well, like had the right, he had the right side as well. So yeah, I think Antvia Jai's equalizer, um, uh, Nicholas Sula uh, was sat down the bed with it so fast, and uh, yeah. to be fair, he did hit it off his other foot, so it took a deflection off of his own foot, which took it past all like. But that's the thing that I've I've said it. A couple of times covering Bochum on Football Live. Uh, shameless plug. I was about to say, Jesus Christ, market yourself more, why don't you? <laughs> uh, that was the only thing I could do short of holding a massive sign. Um, <laughs> and, well, and I don't put it past, I'm not going to put it past you. The minute we start doing video stuff, it's there's going to be, you know, like a background. You're going to have a green screen. Oh yeah, it's in a box already. I just have to find somewhere to hang it. Um, oh, gee. but I've said it a few times about Bochum is the, the aim is get it to Garrett Holtman and hope he can put a good ball in because beating his man for pace is not going to be an issue. I think the only person no. he would have struggled to beat for pace would have been Alfonso Davies of that Bayern. And my man's still out. And Benjamin Pavard didn't really cover himself in any glory at all. He made Upa Meccano look like a schoolboy and he bent one Jeez. in the top right-hand corner with his weaker right foot. So... Overall, it was a pretty good day for Holtman. And uh, yeah, and Lewandowski skill, still scored twice. Which even when Bayern are playing like utter trash, he still scores twice. And one of them was a scissor kick. So has it got anything to do with the fact that Bayern essentially played 4-6? Because it was very, there was only one holding player and Joshua Kimmich uh, seemed to play as a cam the entire game. Well, put it this way, they, I think Nagelsmann is struggling right now to find a way to compensate for the fact that one Goretzka is missing and two Davies is missing. So he's trying different things out, which all credit to him, it worked out at the beginning of the second half of the season. So right now, I, well, I'd say worked out. It wasn't amazing, but it still worked well in January. But now, come February, it just seems to have come apart at the seams. And in all honesty, it is mostly a backline issue because Tolisso hasn't been, you know, terrible and made Goretzka look irreplaceable. But you know, he obviously there's still some deficits, but Tolisso definitely has had some good games so far. So I'd say the problem isn't really in midfield. 
it's more of a backline thing. And if Davies was there or not, eh, would that made of a difference? Would that have made a difference? I don't know. But uh, I think the main problem is just in the cent- uh, in the center because you don't have any type any type of reassurance at the center back position. If someone's going at the center back position, you don't have that, you know, uh, well, at least it, if all, if everything goes bad, we at least have that rock in defense who you know is going to save you, you know, like David Alaba did for so often or Jerome Boateng did. You know, you have like the in- experienced guy who's always been there through thick and thin and he's always going to be there. And, you know, he's just, for, for so many fans as well, he's just kind of been an integral part of the back line for so long that you just can't think of it without him. But there is not one player in that back line for Bayern right now where I'm thinking, oh, you know what? He's going to be that guy like a Joel Boateng who stays with the club for 10 seasons is going to be, you know, more or less irreplaceable. All of the whole, all of the Bayern back line right now are very much replaceable. How much was, <laughs> how much was Upa Meccano? It is the, the depressing statistic on this one is that two center backs have cost by on 122 million. And they're both not even close to fulfilling that price tag. Well, the funny thing is, okay. Yeah. I know. I know Alfonso Davies is injured. Yeah, but it shouldn't but, be that big of an, of an issue. No, because you know, I think a left backs are pretty, yeah. yeah, he's not he's not the guy who's organizing the back line. That that's the that's the I think the best way to describe it. There is not one organizing figure in that back line. There's not one center back who's basically saying, you know, guys, we need to have we need to stand like this and this is how we need to we need to play and um get your get your head in line, get, you know, get everything sorted out. You know, there's not that one leader in that back line. There's three players who are relatively good, but not one of them is a leader. And one is just relegation for them in Benjamin Pavard. Yeah. So yeah, he's definitely not had the, uh, I'd say the, he's, he hasn't had the progression that I think the bosses wanted him to have. So, in his career, what? At what point does it? You know, what? At what point does he have to start giving Omar Richards a a go? I think he's left out Omar Richards for a reason. In all honesty, because if he had been ready, then I think Yuya Nagats one would have played him by now. Because look at Jamal Muziala. He's get, he got game time when he, you know, in big matches as well, when there were players missing from the starting lineup. You know, Jamal Muziala came in for uh, Leon Goretzka at some point. So it's not like he doesn't trust players who are young or who are relatively inexperienced. But I think he doesn't trust players when they don't show him week in, week out that they definitely have the skill and the stuff to be a first team player and a starting 11 player at that. So I think if Omar Richards had, had shown Nagelsmann that he is ready to play at the left back position, Nagelsmann would have done it by now. 
I mean, I mean that's fair. Um, yeah, I was going to say because we've seen English players come over and hit the ground running. Like even Emil Smith Rowe, who's on loan from Arsenal, did relatively yeah. well. Reese Oxford from West Ham, obviously Bellingham and Sancho. But we have to think about the fact here that these are all players who are coming from big name Premier League teams and are going to relatively no-name Bundesliga teams. With all due respect to teams like Augsburg and, uh, and such, these aren't teams who are contending for European places every season. These are teams who are more or less contending for, the fa- for you know, mid, mid-table spots and hoping that they don't get relegated. So obviously the pressure is not going to be on as much with the exception of Sancho and Bellingham. But I'd also argue that Sancho and Bellingham are exceptional talents in and of, in of themselves because those are players you don't see very often. Like even for talented players, there's, there's Emil Smith, Emil Smith Rowe level and then there's Jaden Sancho level. Two different worlds, in my opinion, at least. Given many, many Premier League uh, fans will probably disagree with me given Sancho's start at Man United but I'd say from a playing level Sancho's still better than Smith Rowe okay I think it made for pretty depressing watching for Dortmund as well (laughs) Uh, from the Niklas Sula perspective because not only did Anthea Jai sit him down he was really ineffective against Bochum and again against Salzburg. Salzburg, yeah. Is it a case yeah. of his head is already black and yellow? I don't know if it's a case of his head is already in Dortmund, but I'd say the pressure or more or less every eye is now going to be looking at Zula in particular because of said news coming out. So, in all honesty, the uh, shakiness from Zulu was always there. It's not something that's just happened. But now, obviously, with the scrutiny, the the scrutiny is high and Bayern as a collective aren't playing as well. So I think it's now being highlighted very much so that Zulu still isn't quite at the level he was, like I said, a couple of episodes ago, pre-ACL tear. Yeah, I think it's since that since that uh, injury, there's been more and more issues with him. I like to say, since the, the, the focus and the scrutiny, because Bayern aren't defending well anyway. That's the thing as well, because at the, at the beginning of the season, they were defending quite well. And now it's just kind of slipped. And, you know, the media, the media are now speculating. like Didi Haman, uh, former Bayern and Liverpool player, um, he made the comment of, that you don't get the feeling that Bayern are a collective unit anymore. And he's saying not just from a team perspective, but as a club. Like, it used to be the fact that when you took a swing at Bayern, you were taking a swing at, everyone from the goalkeeper all the way up to the president himself. And he's saying that that cohesive unit of not just a team, a functioning team, but also a functioning club from management positions onward isn't what it used to be. And there he's obviously taking a direct swing at Zadi Hamacic and uh, Oliver Kahn. 
you know, Hazan Zalihamidzic is the one who's also responsible for making, for putting this squad together. And if we're being honest, he spent 120 million on two players in Upamecano and Hernandez who have yet to fill that price tag and have yet to find the rhythm. And, you know, obviously Upamecano is his first season, but, you know, Lucas Hernandez, he's shown again and again, you know, flashes of why they bought that or why they, they, they pay as much money as they did, but it's not been consistent enough. <laughs> did you see what um, Hassan Salihamidzic, your favorite man in the world, oh, yeah. uh, said about uh, Lothar Mateus's criticism? Oh, yeah. You know, Lothar Mateus, oh, you know, arguably by, one of Bayern's best ever players. Like, we're talking legend status the, at, that, oh, at that club. The only German Ballon d'Or winner. There we go. Um, <laughs> I'm not interested in what Lota says. I don't care. Yeah, just, pretty much. You don't need... I know he was asked directly about it, but you, you don't have to react to that. So this is um, almost toys out the pram stuff. Oh, it gets better because Matthias then counters Zalihamicic's counter so to speak and he goes on and says well the fact that he's reacted to my own statements shows me he definitely does care what i say and he definitely and he definitely is under pressure and he feels it so you know it's hard to it's hard to disagree with uh, Matthias because you know he's he's more or less spot on zadi hamajic knows that you know, he's had some, he's also had some good transfers. You know, you, you can't take away Alfonso Davies, for instance. That's Zadi Hamicic who made that happen. But on the whole, you just have to say that Zadi Hamicic just hasn't worked out all the way yet as a sporting director. Well, on the subject of management in uh, disarray, <laughs> we'll touch we'll touch briefly on this before we move on to Spurs. because uh, you mentioned it to me earlier. Just briefly explain what the fuck is going on at Hertha. Oh, it's so fun because Hertha's main investor, um, German businessman Lars Windhorst, has said, uh yeah, you know, it kind of I wouldn't throw 375 million at something and not get a solid return. But if, you, but when asked if he had had a good experience in his investment so far, he said, with the exception of, you know, a couple of interactions with club members, he said the project has caused them more headaches than, you know, has garnered him any profitable experiences so and yes i am paraphrasing what he said but in essence he's basically said that hata's management isn't what he wants it to be and he said you know he's he's now gone so far in the investment obviously 375 mil is not nothing but he said he's gone so far in the investment that now he has to see it through and make sure there is a profit because as he said he wouldn't throw that much money at something and not see a positive return, which as a businessman, fair enough, makes a lot of sense. But, you know, he's 
collectively just took a swing at all of Hertha's management. It's, it, it doesn't help. It doesn't help. Yeah, but can you blame him? Because no, they, you can't, they're because... currently 14th. They're what? A point above relegation playoff places. If it gets any worse, like we used this phrase earlier on in the season, full Schalke. And it's almost that bad. But the thing is, whereas with Schalke, they already had such money problems that they couldn't exactly buy a bunch of good players. Hertha Berlin have spunked so much money on players and still are way off the target. You know, Union Berlin have showed Hertha how it's done with minimal funds to to, to, that's the best part. Union Berlin is living Hertha's dream right now because Hertha are, want to be the big city club who are now challenging for Europe and, you know, are, you know, very much taking the games to the big clubs. And Union Berlin is definitely doing what Hertha dream of doing. And Hertha, meanwhile, are basically doing what everyone expected Union Berlin to do since they've gotten up to the Bundesliga, in all honesty. Well, yeah, because Hertha are one point above relegation playoff and Union are outside of the Champions League places on goal difference alone. Exactly. So you just have to... <laughs> I don't think you need any more explanation than that. I can't wait for uh, Torfum Korkut or however you, however you pronounce it. Yeah, Tafen. Tafen Korkut, yeah. There we go. To get the sack before the end of the season. I mean, he probably will, but just because Hatta's management is incompetent and they can't stick with the manager. I mean, given I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have thought that Typhoon Kockwood is, you know, the first choice you would have as a manager to begin with. But as I've said before, I think it's more of a case like with Newcastle. You take the best person who will have you, not who you would like to get. Well, there we go. Well, let's leave German clubs in disarray and let's talk Spurs Salah you know it's always nice to see Spurs struggling isn't it I'll be honest it it brings me a lot of joy it only brings me joy because I really really dislike Daniel Levy you're not the only one you really are not the only one yeah, I know, I know that, but that, that's the only reason I, I enjoy seeing Spurs lose. Like, I don't enjoy it for any of the players' sakes or the fans' sakes because that must be killing them. But it does bring me joy to see someone like Daniel Levy not have things work, work you know, in his favor. Well, I mentioned it in the intro. And uh, it's not... Uh, it's a difficult one because you wouldn't think it would be a high possibility. But Antonio Conte is quite hot-headed. So, <laughs> so this is what he said about um, Tottenham's January. Uh, so even just in terms of numbers, rather than reinforce the squad, we on paper weakened it. Tottenham are seeking young players, <laughs> which is already damning, right? Tottenham are seeking young players they can develop and grow, not players who are ready. That is the issue. I've now realised that is the vision of the club. 
So they've brought in a, I think we can probably call him a serial winner. In Antonio Conte. And yet they're buying him players for three, four years down the line. It's all right to buy players for three, four years down the line, but it's not all right to make a squad out of only those types of players. So to realize that they're not going to become a, or they're not going to be a real big six prem team until they get their team acting like one, they can have the best stadium in the world. They can have, you know, the facilities to match it, sponsors to match it money to throw around. But if that team is not on big six level, then there's no point. And you can even get someone, like you said, like a serial winner, like Antonio Conte, to, you know, to manage your club. And if he, within half a year, is saying or giving an interview like that, that should be alarm bells going all off all over the place at Tottenham. It should be... Then... You believe you should be thinking, you know, oh, okay, maybe we shouldn't be getting in 19-year-olds who are development players. Maybe we should actually try and get some squad players who will actually make the team better. Might just be an idea. I don't know. Well, they brought in uh, Brian Hill from Sevilla. 22 and a half mil. Right? 22 and a half mil by... And and then proceeded to send him on loan in January. Says it all, really. It's a shit show from top to bottom. It really is, but that they need someone like at Chelsea, um, Marina Granovskaya, someone who actually has an idea and a vision for where the 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 squad and the roster should go. Because without that, you can't possibly have a vision for where the club is going. And if you don't have a vision for where the club should be going, then why are you even managing a club? Why are you even in competition? Why are you even in football? There should be some type of vision there. I don't, I actually don't understand Tottenham in Daniel Levy is, it's the Ed Woodward thing. He's a businessman, not a football man. But they brought in Fabio uh, Paratici, right? Uh, It was behind a load of Really good transfers at, uh, let me find it. I believe it was Lille. No, Juventus. So he was, you know, uh, you know, we're talking like the free, you know, the Dybala when they had all those ridiculous free transfers and they got Pogba, yeah. uh, Vidal in, and they got Tevez. So he, he knows his football, yet in the transfer window, they got Dejan Kulisevsky and Rodrigo Bentancourt from Juve, both of which arguably not good enough for Juve. Arguably, I'd say definitely not. So I can understand his frustrations, but he's not completely free of blame because you have to really question why he took the Tottenham job. Yeah, if you exactly, if you didn't think that he could get something done at that club, then why bother going there in the first place? But I'm not gonna lie, I think still most of the blame lies with Daniel Levy because I think Daniel Levy 
as you said, thinks too much like a businessman. And second of all, he's not leaving the footballing decisions to the people with the said with said know-how, which surprises me because I would think as a good businessman, you leave the stuff that you don't know to the people who do know about it. My, it's just my opinion. I don't know. Yeah, but I think it's a difficult thing because at the end of the day, he signs the checks that buy those players. So sure, he, but he wants to have a say in how much money they're spending. You can still have a say in how much money you're spending without trying to make some serious footballing decisions. But if you roadblock every single player who is going to cost you a little bit of money, then you also have to ask why are you in it for why are you in it if you don't want to spend money? Yeah, very true. I think because if he if he thinks if he thinks he's then going to be like ah okay they only want to get in players who have a lot who are going to cost me a lot of money I'm going to start looking for players who aren't going to cost as much money and then he obviously is not going to find players who are good enough to be a top, at a top six prem team. It's it's weird because from from Conte's standard you know there's there's being a a winner and they're setting ridiculously high standards like he set it into Milan. Yeah. Because those players ran into the ground for that manager. And then there's this at Spurs, which is just becoming increasingly more self-destructive and dangerously close to Jose Mourinho territory of, I just can't, you know, no matter how good of a manager I am, I cannot do this. Like these players just are not good enough. I mean, that should be saying everything because it's not just, you know, the Mourinho three-year curse. It's it's other managers as well. Arguably, Harry Kane should have been allowed to go in the summer. Peak yeah. value. What do you mean, because... arguably? He should have been allowed to go in the summer. End of. Because think of how well they could have... Well, I say that. <laughs> <laughs> The amount of money they would have got from City. Think of how they could have invested that. Yeah. Rather than the... Then again, remember what they did with 100 million from Bale? Ah, the infamous Bale 7. Nah. (laughs) (laughs) Ended when Eric Lamella finally left the club on a free transfer. (laughs) Not one of those players, maybe with the exception of Christian Eriksen, had the stamina and the skill to compete at the highest of levels. We're talking, you know, league title winning levels, just title winning levels in general, not one of the players that they bought with the bail money. So the bail seven, it was Paulinho flop, (laughs) uh, Christian Eriksen success, uh, uh, Roberto Soldado flop, flop, uh, Nasir Chadley, flop. Flop. Uh, Etienne Capu, flop, flop at Spurs, doing quite well at Villarreal. Yeah, but uh, the, for for Spurs for Spurs standards, flop. Uh, Vlad Kirikesh, flop. <laughs> and uh, Eric Lamella had his moments, but they're scoring a Rabona goal against Arsenal and then getting sent off for hitting someone in the face. So, <laughs> in the same match. So I think any Spurs fan you ask would probably say flop as well. So one out of six is a horrendous record. Look, 
they probably have the, one of the nicest stadiums in the Premier League, and they don't have the football worthy of it. Yeah, okay, but <clears throat> like, so yeah, they're not worthy of it. Like, those, they're never going to see any, that team win anything. <laughs> so, like, yes, if you want to be competitive more quickly, I think you need players with a lot of experience. But again, the vision of the club is this I understand. Which is basically, he's been told by Daniel Levy, this is what we're doing. Any players that he's, he's just first team coach, he's got no control. This is first team coach territory, not manager. Well, this is, I, I... This is uh, uh, Paratici and Daniel Levy send the scouts out. They look at the players, we'll sign them. You just tell them what to do when they rock up at the training ground. And I find that that is the dumbest possible way to run a football club. Because That's if you're going to have a manager who's getting players that he can't use, then there's no point in him being there. That's why, Hansi Flick, that's why Hansi Flick left Bayern is because he was like, yeah, I'm getting players who I have no use for. And then oh, you're telling me they, I still have to win titles with it. What? So signing Upamakano wasn't Hansi Flick. That was management. I'd say Upamakano. Mm. I'm trying to work out a bind who he wouldn't have wanted. Oh, oh people like Bonasar. Uh, yeah, Bonasar. What, Nianzu? <laughs> Uh, Nianzu, he was actually quite fond of, but it was Bonasa and uh, Omar Richard. Douglas Costa. Ah, uh, yeah, but that was only on loan. <laughs> yeah, but he was literally useless. <laughs> he was awful. Douglas Costa's last good match in a Bayern shirt came in at the end of 2015. Because that was the, that was the whole deal with him. He was good for like the first half of the first season he played at Bayern. And then after that, he just kind of tapered off. Back was, in the days when uh, everyone thought that uh, Robin and Ribéry's replacement would be Douglas Costa and Kingsley Coman. Yeah, yeah, it's not quite the same, is it? It's not got the same ring to it. No. Nope. But I think that's probably a, uh, a good place to leave this week. It's been a lot of negativity. Yeah. We love that here. Negativity sells. We know this. We love that here. <laughs> and uh, as long as, God forbid, he ever walks away from Spurs. If he quits before the end of the season, I'm live streaming for like three hours. <laughs> oh, I'll join you. Don't, wor- don't you worry. Let's go through every minute of every match and pick a pot. I mean, he's losing his hair again already. So that's why the hats come out. <laughs> I'll have to go for transplant number two. We don't have to end it on quite such a negative note because if we're being honest, Mbappe's goal against Real Madrid. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Not only, not only did he like bend Lucas Vasquez inside out, he then nutmeg Thibaut Courtois in the 94th minute. And against I, the club that is rumored to already have his signature. But did you see what Florentino Perez said? So no. he's apparently like ridiculously angry with how uh, <laughs> Real Madrid set up. 
saying the the uh, the defensive nature of the setup not being the Real Madrid style. I'd argue they didn't have much of a choice, but <laughs> to play that way, because I mean, let's okay. Uh, Messi had his penalty saved. Okay, it wasn't a great penalty. He's now missed the most penalties in the Champions League history. Messi's a flop. I wouldn't go that far. Well, the term, a flop the term, at PSG. The term dusty baller comes to mind. And like 10 seconds later, Ronaldo scored a screamer against Brighton. So, I mean, I'll, I'll grant you Real Madrid, Brighton. <laughs> but it was ridiculous how close together they were. Anyway. Yeah, okay, but what I'm saying, I'm not saying Messi's a flop in his career. I think anyone who says that, get your head checked. But I'm saying Messi, since he, he's gotten to Paris, he is a shadow of the Messi that everyone said is the world's best player or one of the two best players to ever touch the ball. I'm still angry. How he won the Ballon d'Or is beyond me. But we, we've already been through this, and I'm not... Gonna... I was about to say, that that really is flogging a dead horse. You know, uh, what in the league this year, he's got two goals in 14 appearances. That sounds something like a stat of a backup striker. I mean, he's got five and six in the Champions League, but, I mean, let's be honest. It was only really... Uh, it was only really... Oh, no, they played Man City. Did, did they play Man City? Oh, my God, I've gone uh, blank. They have yes, group yes, death. they did. Yes, they did. So, sorry, no, we'd ignore that. Because he's got a screamer <laughs> against Man City. <laughs> I, I take back everything I said. He's fantastic. I was going to say, they had a group no of Ronaldo. death with Leipzig and City as well. Shh, be quiet, you. I'm cutting that out. <laughs> <laughs> nah, we'll leave it in. Let's see how incompetent I am when it comes to teams I don't really care about. That's uh, all good. I'd, I'd still argue that if, with or without Messi scoring five and six with, uh, with the group that PSG had, he's still a flop at PSG. I think for, for his signing to be a success, they need to win the Champions League. Yes, is- it is a high standard, but at the, on the other hand, it's Messi. I was going to say, that's what PSG has, has all been about. I mean, winning the French League, yeah, okay, they'll do that a month of Sundays. Last year was an anomaly. An anomaly, <laughs> and I really hope Poch goes to Real Madrid instead of United. But, <laughs> but you know, they, they buy Mbappe, Neymar, Di Maria, Messi... You know, Verratti, Ramos, Hakimi, Donnarumma. Fuck it. Gigi Wijnaldum, Pedro Donnarumma Nenda, as well. Nuno How he's gotten any goalkeeping awards is beyond me because he, he's been on the bench for most of the first half of the season. Mate, you can't keep out a big Kalo or Navas. But they buy all these players not with the objective of trying to win the league or, or the cup. It's all about the Champions League. It's this borderline uh, well it's not a borderline it is an obsession that they have in Paris of winning the Champions League it's the same yeah, okay but similar to Man City but I don't think Man City are as far gone in the obsession 
Because no, Manchester City have still got some sort of logic and sense about them. PSG have, have lost all logic and sense when it comes to their transfers. They just see the player with the biggest name and the biggest price tag. That's the guy we have to get for that position. End of story. They don't look at forming a cohesive unit. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. That team is never going to win the Champions League. Paris just don't about have, it. they don't have the team. They don't have the team cohesion. It's just a bunch of superstars that have been thrown together and put on the pitch. And then they're told win the Champions League. It's not going to happen and it never will. I, you're not wrong. I think you look at Man City. I think PSG would never make the uh, rather unglamorous signings of Fernandinho and Rodri, but they've both been fantastic for City. Exactly. And as good as Verratti is, there are weaknesses to his game, and it's the fact that he's not very physical. But that's someone told someone posted on on Instagram, I think, that they were like, "Yeah, I've never seen Verratti play a bad game." And I was like, well, for the, fa- I was about to say, for the fact that he has apparently never played a bad game, he seems to have dropped off the face of the earth pretty well for the fact that he's supposed to be some fantastic midfielder. Oh, no, I've seen him play a bad game before. I mean, for a start, when United beat PSG 3-1 in 2019, he was invisible that night. Champions League final against Bayern? Exactly. Did he play that? <laughs> well, okay, let's let's. I got to check this now because it's going to rack my brain. When was that? No, no, that, that was that was a sarcastic. That was a sarcastic question. Don't you worry. Oh, did he but, genuinely? Uh... Did he genuinely play? <laughs> well, I I can't re- I can't remember him having a single big deal in that match. I think he. Did, I'm pretty sure he did play, but I just don't remember him having a single big moment in that match and. If we're being honest, you know, I don't, I don't remember him. I, when when you think of Italy's midfield, you think of Jorginho. That's the big name in midfield for Italy. And if that's uh, happening... T- to be fair, uh, he didn't start, but he came on and they still lost. So Well, he came on and he was invisible. but He can't, he can't have done that well. But I think that's, that's the thing. Players go to PSG. And that's where they stay. I think with the exception of Mbappe, who is more than likely going on a free. That's unreal. Which is horrendously funny. Especially because it's PSG. But that is a topic for another PSG's time. PSG spent 180 million on... 180 million on a player you're going to lose for free. <laughs> but that is a topic for another week see we done it on a on somewhat of a positive but then again we did circle around to the negative <laughs> but anyways don't forget to like share and subscribe to AT sports news on facebook instagram and twitter and also make sure to check out our episodes weekly on google podcasts apple podcasts and spotify we're always posting breaking news updates you want to follow us you, you really do you just you just know you want to follow us but thank you very much for listening guys keep calm love the beautiful game